My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain. It's but to educate. It's to teach. It's to put it in context. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Between the new antiviral drug from Pfizer, the one that cuts COVID hospitalizations and deaths by 89%, and the strong jobs number that cut the unemployment rate to 4.6%, with growth in pretty much every part of the private sector, especially leisure and hospitality, it is no wonder that the averages rallied today. Dow going up 204 points. S&P climbed 0.37, and the Nasdaq advanced 0.20%. Although, you could have argued we should have rallied even more. And, importantly, we were up much higher earlier in the day. Now, the great reopening thesis, which had faltered due to the Delta variant, has now made a comeback with a vengeance, thanks to the federal government pressuring people to get vaccinated. Anything related to going out and having fun is making a fortune. Witness the fantastic quarter from Airbnb or Delta Airlines. Planes, these planes are rapidly starting to fill up. So which companies can play catch-up if Dr. Scott Gottlieb, our icon, is right that we're finally approaching the end of the pandemic? And when he said it, I just made, I, I, I just said, listen to this man. Fortunately, he repeated it. Yeah, within sight. He's true north. Can we find, for instance, the next NVIDIA, a terrific stock we own for the Chapel Trust that you can learn about by joining the club? And one that we continue to love. Well, you know what we have to do? Let's go to the uh, tele. That's what we call it, the Telestrator. Let's go to the Telestrator for the game plan for next week. Well, Monday, we start with a stock that's been under tremendous pressure for weeks on end. PayPal. We're going to discuss the chart later in the day. But uh, will it be crushed by a weak number like Square today? It doesn't look good given PayPal's ill-advised pursuit of Pinterest. I mean, is that really because they're slowing down? I mean, a light and fun hobby site that seems like a bizarre partner for a financial services company. I mentioned NVIDIA just now. But what you need to know is that the charitable trust also owns PayPal. And that's been a disaster. We bought higher and we bought here. Yet it's been a house of pain. So will it blow up even further? I don't know. I think it's kind of blown up already. Uh, but when I see a stock acting like this right before earnings, I have to be more circumspect. It's the way I am. Dan Schulman, the CEO, already warned us this would be a tough quarter because of PayPal's final separation from eBay. But it's already down more than 80 points, which to me seems overdone. But the way it acted today was horrendous. How about something that's overdone on the upside? And that's what many professional money managers think of AMC Entertainment, which reports Monday night. Now, I'm constantly asked if this movie theater chain is really worth 41. Do you really think it's worth that? And that's where it's currently trading. Uh, given that it sits on a mountain of debt, you really can't believe it's at 41. I come back and say, you can't value AMC like money managers would because the shareholder base is full of individual investors who love the darn thing. They love the popcorn, for heaven's sake. 41 can be justified. I bet CEO Adam Aram will do a great job on his call, and the individual investors will buy even more. So the stock will hang in because he knows how to give his shareholder base what it wants. He represents a new form of capitalism, frankly. Now, AMD... Long a favorite, has an event on Monday where it will debut some of its latest technology for the data center, and I expect CEO Lisa Su to totally rock the joint. I think AMD is well on its way to eclipsing Intel and market capitalization. I can't believe I just said that. How the mighty have fallen. 
Speaking of semiconductor market caps, NVIDIA, which is now the largest chip maker in America, hosts its annual user and developer conference called GTC, where CEO Jensen Wong should, should tell an excellent tale of a product pipeline that seems to touch every exciting end market in tech. Autonomous cars, gaming chips, even the metaverse, although NVIDIA calls it the omniverse, and it was first. Be prepared to be dazzled. Watch it. I, I, I watched it on tape last year. I mean, I learned so much. I had to watch it several times though because I'm not smart enough. And uh, it's not humility. It's truth. Uh, no one's smart enough. No one. All right. Tuesday, we are from another investment club name, and that's Win Resorts. Like PayPal, I'm pretty much resigned to this being more of a long haul play than a short term winner. Once gambling comes back in Macau, which is what I'm waiting for, that's the Las Vegas of China, then this stock will soar. Until then, pain. And I don't think it'll be any different when it reports. After the close Tuesday, we hear from two new fintech names, Upstart and Coinbase. The action cryptocurrency has been pretty exciting of late, so that should send Coinbase higher, even though it's been going up. That said, they need to drop the arrogance. they got to get into chill mode, like me and Scotty Wapner. As for Upstart, they're the artificial intelligence-powered lending platform that makes credit scores obsolete because it does a better job. Wells Fargo, run by Charlie Scharf, he really understands numbers and technology. They just hired him. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I hope to make sense of what's going on in the conference call because I really don't still understand exactly how they uh, are doing what they're doing. Then there's DoorDash. Now, this morning, Uber told a great story that included how it's now a dominant player in the delivery space. I wonder if Tony Hsu from DoorDash can do the same. We know Uber's delivery business is still thriving, even as the pandemic winds down. So I bet DoorDash can blow the doors off when it reports. Wednesday starts off with Wendy's, okay? Our favorite quick-serve chain. And by the way, my wife got down a burger there about five hours ago in the LIE. There's one in the LIE uh, going toward the city that is so good. But she did not have the bacon in her, so maybe she's showing some restraint. Now, uh, I think that, the, that this Wendy's call may not be as good as the McDonald's call, even though I like the Wendy's burgers more than McDonald's. But you remember, I'm not a millennial. I actually look at the numbers. Whew. Now, after the close, we hear from Dutch Bro. I heard someone on air say Dutch Brothers, and I was thinking, Dutch Brothers. I mean, like, he sounded like me when I met my daughter out in Oregon. She goes, all right, so what is Dutch Brothers? She goes, Dad, you're an idiot. But boom, it's Dutch Bro. And that's the coffee chain that's one of the hottest IPOs of the year, Dutch Brothers. Clueless. <laughs> All right, this is a terrific regional and national growth story. You can put their highly caffeinated kiosk, try the Annihilator. You won't sleep for three days in the middle of any parking lot. Something that can revitalize a down and out shopping mall. I just worry that the stock's expensive will pull back from its highs this week. I am enamored of it, though. After the close, oh, look at this one Disney! Disney reports it's going to be rough. The theme parks weren't working at full capacity, Delta variant. Shanghai Disney was shut down this past week, stranding 33,000 people because of one person with COVID. The movie slate's good, not great. Disney Plus seems to be slowing. Time for something new. Now, what have I been pushing? I've been pushing a virtual reality fest uh, where you go to a world inhabited by Scrooge McDuck. Or maybe, just maybe, this is my new one for them. If they use it on the call, credit me. Maybe you go and you find the killer of Bambi's mom. And you bring him to justice. It's an idea. All right, I don't think CEO Bob Chapek will uh, give that exactly to us, at least not exactly that graphically. But I'm looking forward to the calls. We own Disney for the charitable trust. It's looking okay lately. It's up five. Here's a good one. MasterCard. They got an analyst meeting on Wednesday. This stock is sold off in part of the exodus from 
old fintech, although it bounced hard today. More on that later. MasterCard is another travel trust name, we, uh, so we'll give Investment Club members a rundown on the meeting once it happens. But what matters is that this is a play on commerce and cross-border travel. It is not a play on what a firm does. It's not. Get a little emotional. Thursday's quirky. We've seen an incredible rally in all things mall, right? I mean, from Tanger to Simon to everybody in the, you know, the tapestry reports. Now, that's formerly known as Coach. And I, I, I don't know if it can summon still one more day higher. I think we'll get good news, though, and this stock could quickly surge seven points to a new 52-week high. Let me throw in Ralph Lauren. That should go to its 52-week high, too. It was down 12 the day I reported. That was stupid. We also hear from Yeti, which makes high-performance outdoor gear. Now, we've been championing this one since 16. It hit a new high and closed at 107 today. I love the line extensions from the Simple Thermos, even as, it's, as some think it's a pandemic play because people felt safe for spending their vacations in the great outdoors. To me, Yeti's become much more than that, and that was brilliant. They got their name out during this period, and now they're selling a lot of different things. Friday, we get results from a drug company that had an early vaccine for COVID, AstraZeneca. It's gotten lost in the miasma of vaccine makers because it wasn't as good as the, as the other opponents. I think they're a better fish to fry. Finally, We've had so many new IPOs that I regard as really basically branding exercises, great ways for the public to learn about a story, and I think somewhat, eh, maybe not much more. And that's how I see Warby Parker, the hipster glasses maker, which I warn you away from, but I'd love to be proven wrong by a great quarter. Could easily happen. Usually the first quarter out of the shoot is a good one. Here's the bottom line. We need to see if this rosy action can hold up through next week, a period that historically tends to produce some ugly sell-offs. By the way, Larry Williams, the guy who told us to sell today, remember he said by the last week he sold today. He's done. What a call. One of our best ever that we've had on the show. But if the earnings stay strong, well, I think the stock market could stay strong too. I need to go to Chuck in New York. Chuck. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm here with my two sons. I got Charlie, age 14, and Andy, age 9. Charlie, you got something to say to Jim? Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Charlie. And Andy, uh, what have you learned from Dr. Kramer? Apple, don't sell it. Buy it. Yeah. Kids got horse sense. All right. (laughs) Uh, uh, My question is Marble. I sold it at... uh, um, 53, thinking that it was going to dip, and then I was going to rebuy. You know, I was going to buy it again. But Marvel, it just keeps going up and up and up, right, and I want right. to buy it. Should I? All right, should I Chuck, go? Charlie, yeah. and Andy, listen and listen good. Marvel first moved into 5G, and then they went to high performance computing. Do you know they're moving aggressively into autos right now? The hottest market in the world, and believe me, they're part of the solution, not part of the problem. I like all three of you, though, and the Apple Horse Sense kid, Andy, he'd be my man. Hey, Andy, I'm going to see Billy Joel today. Are you? Anyway, um, all right, look, what do you think? Separated birth? All right, we're coming into a period that tends to produce some ugly sellers. But if earnings stay strong next week, I think the market stays strong, too. Even as I said, Larry Williams has now executed his, exited his trade, one of the best we've ever had on the show. On Man Money Tonight, Carvana had a wild ride today after reporting a mixed quarter. So I'm getting in the driver's seat with the CEO to get a read on the report in the state of the used car market. Then the payment stocks have just been horrible. So what do we expect to PayPal and MasterCard? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. And, well, I'm yelling timber. Yeah, that's right. That's, well, I don't... Anyway, don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of Weyerhaeuser, fresh off their third quarter report. 
still cringe. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. of last night's earnings report, a quizzical report from Carvana, the web-based used car dealer that we like so much. Then, boy, this one's complicated. When Carvana's sales came in higher than expected, more than doubling year over year, the earnings came in light with a larger than anticipated loss. Okay, what's the issue? Carvana's making more money per car they sell, but they're running into a wall here, and that wall is the car shortage. They couldn't get their hands on enough vehicles, so they didn't sell as many cars as they wanted to. At the same time, management said their gross profit per unit could decline sequentially in the fourth quarter, while selling general administrative expenses would be on the rise. We've got to ask about that. Again, it's tricky. After it was down big in the morning, the stock actually managed to nearly get back to even today. But that's largely because it had already sold off hard after peaking in August. As much as I like Carvana's long-term growth story, there's not a lot they can do about the auto shortage, uh, which is in turn fueled by the semiconductor shortage. I'm optimistic that the industry can ramp production by, say, mid-next year, but only if they sort out the supply chain mess. So let's take a closer look with Ernie Garcia III, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Carvana, find out more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Garcia, welcome back to Mid Money. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Okay, Ernie, I've got to commend you. Right in your letter, to the third paragraph, you say, our explosive growth in buying cars from customers over the last two quarters created significant operational constraints. You were right up front about the problems. But this needs to be explained to our viewers, because I like an executive who addresses the problem head on. Sure. So, I mean, I, I think it stems from a great place. You know, in, in the second quarter, we saw 40% growth sequentially from Q1 to Q2 in total transactions. That's a lot of growth for a business of our scale, and that came from both selling cars to customers and also buying them. Um, and then that growth flowed through into the third quarter and, and definitely put a lot of strain in the system. It, it comes from a great place. There's a lot of customer demand for our offering, um, but it definitely makes it really hard to keep up with. And so um, our teams have done a tremendous job uh, responding across the entire operational chain. When we buy cars, recondition cars, ship cars to customers, answer customer questions and deliver them last mile, uh, we, we've made a lot of gains, but but it's been a lot of work to try to catch up. Uh, and so that, that's what we were talking about in the third quarter. Now, uh, can things even out in the next, say, what's your view of this shortage? Six months, one year? What are you thinking? So, you know, I think the broader um, auto industry shortage is a is a really big question that, that ultimately starts with the, the supply chains of the, of the OEMs. Um, so that's a hard one to answer. I think for us in particular, you know, we've been constrained uh, to various degrees across our entire life. You know, we're now an eight-and-a-half-year-old company. We've been growing really fast since day one. Throughout the pandemic, uh, we've had inventory shortages. Those are mostly the result of just so much demand showing up on our website, us trying to, to satisfy that demand, taking those cars to reconditioning centers, putting about $1,000 of parts and labor into each one to certify them, and just scaling that process up has mostly been what held us back. And then in, in the third quarter, uh, we just saw that flow over to the rest of the business as well because it was so much discontinuous growth. So I think for us, uh, it's just about continuing to march forward. It's about the team continuing to scale up. Uh, it's about continuing to make the investments that we've made in technology across time to continue to make customer experiences better. And if we do that, I think we'll continue to be in great shape. 
All right. So uh, you are still doing that. When I first met you, it was a thousand dollars. The labor hasn't gone up. So it's fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand. You've been able to keep that labor cost down. Yes, I mean, in, in a thousand dollars, obviously a round number. Those things can move around sure. quarter to quarter. And this last quarter, it was a little bit higher uh, as a result of of COVID, making us a little bit less efficient as the Delta wave uh, flowed through. But in general, you know, those those inspection centers are, are really big, impressive, interesting assembly line facilities. You know, they can be a hundred acres. They can have um, several hundred thousand square feet of buildings. There's thousands of cars going through them. Um, they go through a, a, an inspection process, and then they get whatever they need to get fixed. They get photographed. They get put up on the website. And so that process and the consistency of that process allows us to manage costs really effectively, which ultimately then benefits customers. Okay, so let's go over uh, whether there are people, this is the chatter that I got, thinking that your cro- gross profit per unit, GPU, very important to you, has peaked. And some people are saying that's because of competition. For instance, we had Lithium on. Lithium says, hey, listen, we're going to tackle these guys. I listen to CarMax. They're saying the AutoNation comes on all the time. Don't worry about it. We're going to get them. No one's touched it. No one's laid a glove on you. But is that changing? You know, I, I think um, it can get really easy to, to get really focused on the competition. I think that the thing that served us really well across time is we stay focused on our customers. And I think the truth is that automotive retail has served a lot of people really well for a long period of time, but it hasn't changed a lot in 75 years. And when something doesn't change for 75 years, it means there's room for, for, for kind of new models to show up. And I think by focusing on our customers and trying to think about what they need and putting all of our energy in that direction, we've had a lot of success, and that's what we'll continue to do going forward. Right, one last question is to Carvana customer. Uh, I was the thing I always had to figure. I had to figure insurance, and I hate having to do insurance. It's really hard. It's very difficult to understand. Uh, so tell me, this deal with Root certainly makes takes that out of the equation. I'm sure you would you wouldn't pick anything other than a good firm. And I believe this. I mean, I mean it. Good firm with good with good rates. Yeah, so I mean, we're really excited about that partnership. It's got a lot of potential. Uh, you know, Roots built a, a really interesting product that's very customer friendly, um, and so we're excited about integrating that into our process and, and making the the car buying experience even easier for customers and, and kind of further simplifying their entire uh, journey. Because when you buy a car, there's a lot of other things that uh, are associated with that, and so that, that's an exciting development that we'll be working on uh, in the years to come. Well, look, I think you're hitting you. Uh, remember, what, that's just what I said. I love a guy who comes on and put as first as say like Peloton today, who just look, we had a problem. This was a problem and we're addressing it. And your straightforward nature always makes me feel like the Carvana's a winner. Also, as, as a satisfied customer, it makes it very easy, too. So I want to thank Ernie Garcia, the third co-founder, chairman and CEO of Carvana. Great to see you. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. OK, Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, as Bruce Springsteen said, pay me my money down. But Jim Cramer and the E Street investors just want you to pay attention and profit. Off the Charts is next. And look out for high quality stocks that have pulled back from the highest. Remember, there aren't that many of them, especially when the broader market has been roaring like it has been now. And in the last few weeks, well, what's been really getting crushed is called financial technology or fintech. Witness today's breakdown in Square, if reported a somewhat lackluster quarter. I agree with that analysis. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Broden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonaciQueen.com website. She also writes for RealMoney.com, where I used to write, to look for some opportunities in fintech. In particular, she's eyeing a couple of high-quality stocks that have come down from their highs that are very popular and asked about on Twitter to me constantly. And they're PayPal 
and MasterCard. Broad is not saying it's time to pounce yet, but she wants to stalk both of these names and wait for the right moment before pulling the trigger. Let's start with the much, let's just say, trash down at like 80 points of its high PayPal. Now, they report Monday. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we own PayPal for the Chapel Trust. And in the last few weeks, we've gotten eviscerated. Remember, the investment club that I run, which uses the trust as a teaching tool, tells you my mistakes, not just my wins. You learn more from the mistakes than the wins. Sometimes you have to be humble. I am humble about PayPal. Now, I think the sell may be overdone. But if it's anything like Square, look, another leg down's coming. Stock's certainly not trading like a reported great quarter. It was horrible from the get-go today. With that in mind, let's check out PayPal's weekly chart. Remember, Broden likes to search for key levels by measuring past swings in a the stock, then running those swings through the prism of Fibonacci ratios. That's a magical series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo Fibonacci. For some crazy reason, these ratios show up everywhere in nature. You'd have to ask a physicist why. And they also show up in the stock market, something I don't think anyone can explain. But you can know that something works even if you don't know why it works. When it comes to PayPal, Broden's methodology gives her two key areas that stand out in terms of price. There's the 220 to 224 range, right below where the stock's currently trading, and the 199 to 203 range. When she finds multiple Fibonacci price relationships in roughly the same place, that tells Broden you're likely to get a floor of support. Okay, that's or it could be a ceiling of resistance. We're looking upside down. These are levels where a stock's more likely to change its trajectory. Remember, we're always trying to find out. If the trajectory is going to change, assuming if that floor holds, she wouldn't be surprised to see PayPal sprint all the way to 255. Then it might run out of juice. Of course, Broden's method doesn't just apply to the y-axis of the chart, price. You can do the same thing with the x-axis, time. In other words, she measures the duration of past swings, then runs them through the same Fibonacci prism to find crucial dates where a stock is more likely to change trajectory. So let's zoom in on PayPal's daily chart. When it comes to timing, Broden spotted a series of Fibonacci time cycles that have come due over the past three days, which suggests the stock could be bottoming right now, right here. But that said, she's not quite ready to buy at this moment. She's waiting for a trigger, and her favorite trigger is a moving average crossover. Broden likes to watch the five-day exponential moving average and the 13-day exponential moving average. When the five-day crosses above the 13-day, which is not about to at all right now, that's usually a very reliable buy sign signal because it tells you the trajectory has already started to improve. This one is in the case. This is just about the report. The trajectory is not improved at all. Still, even if Broden's not ready to call PayPal a screaming buy, she thinks it's got an excellent setup. As long as the floor of support holds in the low 220s, which is what happened today, then we could be looking at that start of a new uptrend. Next up, okay, one that uh, I, that my chapel trust owns this one too, but this is already starting to make its move, and that's MasterCard, symbol MA. This one rebounded nicely today. It rallied more than $13. I know that we wanted to catch that. I was trying to tell you to buy it if you remember the club. Broden was telling us to watch it days ago. If we had time to run this segment earlier in the week, you could have caught a nice move. My bad. According to Fibonacci Queen, MasterCard's got two key floors of support. There's one that runs from 321 to 324, okay? And then there's the 313 to 315. That would cause a lot of people to just get sick. This is widely on stock. Now, we tested the first floor a few days ago, and the stock managed to bounce pretty rapidly off those lows. That means the floor support held. That's a good sign. What about timing? All right, when you check out MasterCard's daily chart, Broden points out that there are a couple of key time windows here. In particular, her Fibonacci method tells her to watch November 5 to November 7. Here we are. So today through Monday. 
Given that the stock surged 4% today, it sure seems like this time, timing cycle has already produced this fabulous reversal. Wouldn't be surprising at all to have analysts come out on Monday and say buy it because they wanted to buy it ahead of Wednesday's uh, analyst meeting that I mentioned at the top of the show. But even if this rally doesn't hold for whatever reason, Broden says we've gotten another Fibonacci timing cycle coming from November 11th through the 13th, end of next week. Again, that would be post the analyst meeting. So in her view, both PayPal and MasterCard have compelling setups here. But that's not enough to make her start buying immediately. What needs to happen before she'll pull the trigger? Two things. First, the stock needs to successfully test its floor support. Now, MasterCard did that. PayPal, mm-mm, but it could do it Monday. Second, once we get that successful test, Broden starts looking for buy triggers. Now, as I mentioned earlier, her favorite triggers are exponential moving average crossovers. Those are Mac moving average crossovers. Uh, and for swing trades, she likes to zoom in and using a 15 or 30 minute chart. That's a chart where every tick represents 15 minutes or 30 minutes. It's pretty granular. Then she'll watch the eight period. And the 34 period exponential moving averages and wait for the shorter one to cross over the longer one. She used a very short term chart because it can help pick up these buy triggers much more quickly than a daily chart. However, if you want to wait for more confirmation, Broden says you can simply wait for the eight day exponential moving average to break above the 13 day exponential moving average on the daily chart. Although that'll be slower than if you drill down to a half hour chart. Now, there are a couple caveats here. Uh, one, if PayPal or MasterCard breaks down below these key support levels that I highlighted, Broden says you got to bail. Now, that may be counterintuitive. You might think that's buy high, sell low. But technical analysis is all about identifying trends. So when the trend you want breaks down, you're done. you got to go. Second caveat, this is not a great environment for fintech. When the economy is improving, it's definitely getting in much better shape. But look at employment up this morning. Money managers tend to swap out of fintech and invest directly in the banks, which have been good performers. Many hedge funds try to roughly mirror a benchmark like the S&P 500, which means they need some exposure to the financial sector at all times. When Wall Street hates the bank stocks, these money managers love to own the fintech and vice versa. Fintech is definitely in PayPal and MasterCard's wheelhouse. So when Wall Street turns positive on the banks, they've been swapping out of fintech, and that is what's been going on. Plus, some of the fintechs miss their numbers. When Broden likes, uh, looks at these charts, she doesn't see PayPal or MasterCard seizing the reins from the banks, no. But she likes these two stocks as temporarily beaten down counter trend trades. That means once they rally, she says you need to ring the register because she's not expecting much follow through to the upside. I'm different, by the way. I like both. But I could be had on PayPal. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest that PayPal and MasterCard could be poised for a pair of quick rallies. Maybe MasterCard's already started. But you need to be nimble enough, she says, to get out while the getting's good. If you are in members of the club, you will see a Different strategy. They both can work. Robert in New York. Robert. Hello there, Mr. Jim. Robert. You got me there? Yeah. What's going on, my friend? Yes, I have a question concerning American Express. Okay? Mm -hmm. I get all the emails and news about them, and I've got a lot of disturbing news that American Express is forcing critical race theory on its employees. And that there's uh, websites out there that are asking people to boycott American Express by canceling their credit cards. Now, I've been the holder of American Express, and I have their platinum card for 40 years. It's very concerning to me. I'd like to know what you know about that, and what do you think I might want to do with my American Express stock? Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to be very careful here. I did not know about this. Um, I think that Stephen Squeery, uh, the CEO, is a 
a very good corporate citizen, and I think American Express has done more to help small business than any company in the country. So I am concerned by this. I've got to look into it. Uh, otherwise, I think it's well known that I like the stock, and I reiterate the buy right now. And, Robert, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm an American Express holder for 40 years, so I want to know more. But I, uh, I am going to check with Steve Squirry. I'm going to be sure, and then I will come back. And thank you very much. Let's go to Robert in Arkansas, please, Robert. Hi, Jim, and booyah. Booyah. Jim, I'm a second-time caller and investment club member. Oh, Thank fantastic. you for all you do. Thank you. Jim, I'm a 59-year-old recent retiree and income investor. I look for certain criteria for names in our portfolio, which are best-of-breed companies, good financials, and good dividends. However, I do currently use three closed-end funds as a fixed-income equal, and your former firm, Goldman Sachs, offers what I think could be the fourth with the Goldman Sachs Business Development Company, ticker symbol GSBD. It meets the criteria, but it trades at a 16% plus premium to the net asset value of the holding. What do you think of Goldman Sachs Business Development Company, ticker symbol GSBD? Okay, so I looked at this because you, you and I both see it. It's trading constantly, the ticker beneath our pictures. And I was concerned about it because I felt this way about all these BDCs. I don't know what they own. And if I don't know what they own, I can't trust the yield. Even it is from the firm that I love and worked at. So I have to take a pass because I don't know what's in it. All right, the charts is interpreted by Fibonacci queen Carolyn Baroden, who has been red hot. You know that. Suggests that PayPal and MasterCard could be ready to rally. Remember, PayPal reports Monday, MasterCard giant analyst meeting Wednesday. But remember, it may only be a temporary bounce in her eyes. So you have to be nimble enough to ring the register when the get is good. Our club disagrees, and you've got to read the bulletins. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Warehouser. This is, this is some interesting idea. And they're a good ESG corporate citizen. I'm going to check in with the top press. I like what they have to say. And today we got some positive data from Pfizer on its COVID antiviral, which had Wall Street wondering if the pandemic could be winding down. So if that's true, what can still be bought here? I'm going to reveal some interesting names. And Oil Calls Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When commodity inflation started getting out of control this spring, one of the earliest and biggest movers was the price of lumber. Then lumber peaked over the summer, and it's come right back down before rebounding the past few months. So what do we do with a lumber play like Weyerhaeuser, the real estate investment trust that's one of the world's leading suppliers of forest products? Despite all the volatility in the underlying commodity, this stock's been pretty darn stable, up roughly 20% for the year when you include the dividend payments, which are bountiful. Plus, Weyerhaeuser reported a strong quarter last week, of which I want to point out that lumber isn't their only business. Really, though, this is all comes down to, I think, housing. If you believe the housing market can remain strong, then this is the stock to own. If you see housing falling off, though, and it hasn't looked great lately, then the story becomes, let's say, a little more difficult. So let's check in with Devin Stockfish, the president and CEO of Warehouser, to get a better sense of the business and the broader industry and ESG, which this company is very involved in. Mr. Stockfish, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with you today. Well, Devin, I got to tell you, I am fascinated by your company, and particularly with your investor day, where you really laid out a lot of different things that people don't think about. But you did make the point, look, housing is going to be a tailwind for years. There are people, sir, who think housing has peaked. How can you call it? It's almost like you believe it's a secular grower. Uh, What makes you so confident? 
Yeah, Jim, I think there are a couple of things that lead us to that conclusion. And, you know, first and foremost, it really goes back to the level of underbuilding that we've been doing in the U.S., really going back to the last Great Recession. When you think about normalized housing over any historical period, really coming out of 08, 09, 2010, we've really been building well below that level for a significant amount of time. And I think what that's created was a significant amount of pent-up demand for housing. And so, you know, uh, you, you can look at a number of different sources. Uh, Freddie Mac, for example, thinks it's in the neighborhood of three and a half to four million units underbuilt. Uh, but in any event, we do think that there's a lot of pent-up demand. And, and I think the other thing that really gives us a lot of confidence in the housing market for years to come is when you think about the millennial generation, you know, that is the largest population cohort in the United States, and they're really moving into their prime home buying years. And so that combination of underbuilding together with the demographic trends gives us a lot of confidence that we're going to have to build a lot of homes here over the next five to 10 years to house the demand level that we have in the U.S. I agree with you. I think there are times and pockets where they may get overbuilt, but the demographics are, frankly, empirical. But let me ask you about something else about the millennials. When I speak to millennials, you know what they ask me first? They say, is the company a good corporate citizen? What I loved about what you're doing is you are deeply involved with carbon capture. You're deeply involved with credits. I need you to explain to the millennials out there why your company is a very concerned company when it comes to the environment and the air. Yeah, Jim. Well, you know, the ESG movement that we've seen really plays well into our story. This is something that we've been involved with for many, many decades, frankly, before it became Vogue. You know, when you think about an environment where there's just a growing concern about global warming and climate change, one of the most effective tools that we have to do that is through forests. And we're the largest private landowner uh, owning timberlands in North America. We have 11 million acres in the U.S. We manage another 14 million acres in Canada under long-term licenses. We produce wood products that sequester carbon for the lifetime of those products. So we really are front and center in terms of the carbon story of Warehouser, I would say, is the top ESG story, bar none, when you think about carbon and climate change. And so, you know, that's something we've really been trying to get out and help people understand. And that's really the, the foundation of our new natural climate solutions business that we, we are growing and, and really announced that we're going to grow that fivefold over the next several years. That's really at the heart of it. Now, you're you're. Um President, your chief development officer, Mr. Hagan, said it's still in its infancy. Uh, but the numbers that you're talking about, estimates going to $100 billion, you could dominate this business. There's no one who has the natural resources that you have. Yeah, there's no question, Jim. And when you think about just the amount of carbon dioxide that we sequester today, when we think about into the future and the ability to sequester incremental CO2 by changing the way that we manage forests, there really is no one else that's better positioned to do that. With our land base, the foresters, the scientists, the technology that we have, this is an emerging business for us. But when you think about all of the companies out there that have made net zero commitments, this is going to be a very cost effective way for companies to offset some of their CO2 emissions. So we think this could be a really big business for us out in the future. And I don't think there's any other company that is better positioned to take advantage of this and at the same time, really try to help 
society in, in battling what is one of the biggest challenges of our time. Oh, it may be the biggest if we take it to a longer term view. Absolutely. Now, uh, lumber, I, it goes crazy. A lot of people think it's just there's just a couple of Canadian sawmills that were really much more involved than anything that you did. You were a good corporate citizen the whole time when the lumber futures went up. Have we calmed that down? Yeah, Jim, you know, we, we've certainly seen a lot of volatility around lumber going back to the, the onset of COVID. We've seen the early lows in the early days of COVID through the historic levels that we saw during the spring. And that's really a combination of a few things. You know, on the demand side, we've seen just really strong demand from residential construction. We've also had very strong repair and remodel activity. And you take those two things on the demand side and you combine that with some of the challenges on the supply side, you know, whether it's trucking, whether it's, you know, the producers managing through COVID and, and quarantines, et cetera. That combination is really what led to those historic spikes in the springtime. I don't think we're going to get back to thousand dollar lumbers, lumber prices. But I do think, you know, with the level of demand that we're seeing and that we're expecting, I do think you're going to see lumber at a higher level than we've historically seen. Yeah, which, again, is great for you. And uh, I think you have a new level of profitability. I love the special dividend. I think what you guys are doing are truly being great corporate citizens, though, and leaders in in preserving the, the environment by having all that carbon dioxide taken care of by trees. That's why I was so glad you wanted to come on the show. And I hope you come on regularly because you really are a great spokesperson for what trees can do to save this world. I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbole. You are. Yeah, yeah I appreciate not- it. You know, we, we take that responsibility seriously. We've been managing these timberlands for a very long time in a sustainable manner, really just focused on making sure that we have healthy, resilient forests. And so we've been doing it for a while. and We plan to do it for a long time to come. Well, you're the best at it. Devin Stockfish, president CEO of Warehouser. If you want to be a good corporate citizen and get a good dividend uh, and want to encourage a company to do the right thing, this is the stock to own. Mid Money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time for the Lightning Round. And then the Lightning Rounds are, are you ready? It's Ken in Florida. Ken. Booyah, Jim. Ken in Miami. Uh, two months ago, I bought this stock because of COVID and spoke with you briefly about it. I sold almost all of it after it popped uh, over 10% when it reported blowout third quarter results. With Pfizer's new pill and COVID deaths fortunately declining, should I sell or hold my remaining shares of SCI? Well, SCI is just a long-term, unfortunate, secular play. Don't forget the baby boomers. Uh, so the answer is you need to hold on to it. And if it pulls back, it's only 14 times earnings. I'll buy some more. Let's go to Rudy in Pennsylvania. Rudy! Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon. Rudy calling from Easton, PA. Oh, man, I got a place nearby. I love Easton. 40 miles from you, baby. Yeah. So what's up? Listen, uh, I love your show. Thank you. I got to tell you, your enthusiasm every day just blows my mind. Thank you, man. Thank you. You make the energy of bunny look like a slope. Yeah, well, the, I mean, yeah, the energy of is a loser. What's up, though? Let's go. What's up? My stock is, my stock is Digital World Acquisition Corp. Oh, man, that's a tough one to analyze. That's kind of a short squeeze play. Too hard for me to figure out. I appreciate the kind words, but, man, 
Roll the dice. Let's go to the casino. Okay, Craig in Pennsylvania. Craig. Hey, what's going on, Jimmy? How you feeling today? I am doing well. What's going on with you? I appreciate you. I appreciate all your help. I've been following you for the past eight years, and, you know, you've been showing me, like, a lot of things. And I have been putting to the test. I'm actually making a tremendous amount of money this year, more than I've ever made. Oh, fantastic, Um, Yeah, I I did run across something, and I looked at it, and I said to myself, I don't know, but I had a feeling about it because of, the, you know, them in the EV space, in the Polestar car. And um, I was looking at GGPI. Yeah, they're uh, they're what they're connected with Polestar. Okay, here's the problem. Um, it, it, Rivian's coming public. This group's gotten a little too hot. Let's let things cool off before we get hurt. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, Mike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. The pandemic's truly winding down thanks to the vaccine mandates and soon Pfizer's breakthrough antiviral. What do we do with the COVID stocks? Which of them are toxic and which could be opportunities? Let's start out on a positive note. I like the stock of tractor supply. Always have. Originally, this rural-focused retailer caught fire as tons of people migrated from the city to larger houses in the country where they could work remotely. Turns out the hybrid work model is here to stay, which means more people will be looking for country homes. And that translates into more business for tractor supply and an even higher price. I like their stores. They're clean and they have a lot of good merchandise. Then there's Etsy, which roared yesterday in response to a terrific quarter before pulling back a bit today. This online marketplace has been wrongly pegged as a pandemic play for a long time. Sure, Etsy got turbocharged by COVID, but those new users are sticking with their platform. I like that it's a retail play without supply chain problems because all the handicrafts people know how to source, and every single one of them knows how to source and source well. Etsy's a throwback to a more artisanal era. And right now, that's working. I've been looking through the pages for some gifts for the holidays. I cannot believe it's loaded. i got another stock that's been unfairly tarred as a pandemic play, and that's Brunswick, B.C., the boat maker. A lot of investors figured that boat sales would fall off after COVID subsided. People felt safe spending time indoors again. Turns out they're wrong. In part, that's, uh, that's wrong because Brunswick now gets half of its sales from parts and maintenance. But beyond that, if the business was really falling apart, it wouldn't be so difficult to get your hands on a new boat, would it be? These guys are sold out for the foreseeable future with tremendous pricing power. What else? Contrary one. I like Abbott Labs. We own it for the Chapel Trust. We're telling club members that this story was much bigger than an at-home COVID test. That said, I bet we'll still be testing ourselves for a long time. As 30% of the country remains unvaccinated. That means 30% of the country can give it to you for free. So plenty of people could still give you the virus. How the heck will you know how to, uh, when to take Pfizer's new antiviral unless you get tested? I got a thing of binaxes this high. That's the Abbott product. Those are the COVID winners that can continue as non-COVID winners. All right, what about the ones that might be too dicey? You heard about a lot of them today, and I've got some new ones. I'm thinking of DocuSign, and this is one that I'm a little on the fence for, a little negative. The software company makes it possible to digitally seal the deal on all sorts of contracts. I'm a huge believer in the product. However, the stock's up 20% for the year, trades at roughly 150 times earnings, and that's too rich for me. Okay, I don't care whether pandemic or not pandemic. Too rich, uh, even as I think the product is taking over the world. Next, Moderna's got a lot of fluff, and it's still 
And I think you can bounce after uh, today's hammering, but mm, I don't know. They'll have to prove a lot. Something they got to prove that they have vaccines that are ready. And if you looked at the release today, uh, oh yeah, the the quarter, it, it was filled with ideas of what they have about the vaccines yesterday. And uh, it, but I don't know how many of them come to market soon enough to be able to make it so that there isn't a cliff here. We need more evidence that the personalized cancer vaccines they're testing are actually working and working, and more importantly, at scale. Rough call. I like it lower. Too tough for me to recommend here. Okay, how about Zoom? We may not be going back into a world where business people visit each other in person to try to close sales. However, there's a widespread sense of Zoom fatigue, and I think people are desperate to do things in person again, at least for a while. That should keep a lid on this stock until the company tells us what the heck it plans to do with its enormous war chest. If you remember, Zoom's attempted to take over 5.9 broke down over price. I just don't know if you can buy it until there's another catalyst. Finally, there is just the ugly duckling, which is Peloton. A disastrous quarter last night, just disastrous. Sexualized equipment stock is now down 63% from its high. I mean, 63% for the year. But I don't see many institutions trying to bottom fish. Why? Well, Peloton stretched itself too far with this pre-core acquisition, and people are eager to go back to actual gyms rather than buying equipment at home. Worst of all, management seems uniquely clueless about these problems. Talk about all sorts of levers they can pull to keep things under control. But I don't want control. I want growth. And that is now something that Peloton lacks, which is why I'd be a seller on the next bounce if you haven't sold it already. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 